Then he said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. That is Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 19, and coming at you from the great state of Texas. Texas. Bridge Radio is coming at you with another edition of Bridge Radio. Uh, and as always, I'm your host, Julio Mad Rodriguez, and across from me, we have the usual folks, y'all. Mr. A.W. Hello, hello, everybody. And the boss himself, Mr. Steve Den Hartog. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. So, what is y'all's view on Luke uh, 13, verses 18 through 19? What is, uh, wh- what is that commonly known for? Well, I think the kingdom of God is going to increase and take over and... Eventually, we are going to live in the eschatological kingdom of God. Mm, yeah. what, about, what about you? What yeah, about no, you? Uh, I, I think that even with our different eschatologies, eschatological points of view, I still believe the same thing, that God will uh, preserve his church mm-hmm. and uh, and it's going to grow. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's I think that's wonderful. Right. Uh, also. On the topic that we're going to be speaking of today, I'm I'm excited just to uh, to see just these st- uh, statistics that we'll be uh, talking about with our research. guests today and the research that's been done. I think it's encouraging. Mm-hmm. It is because because right we would say that everybody thinks that everything is just completely falling apart and mm-hmm. you know even within uh, um, circles of people that we hang around. Yeah. Oh man, the world's coming to an end and yeah. all this and uh, and that. Um, the church, something's going to happen to the church, and the church is, you know, we're, we're all br- uh, what is it, polishing brass on yeah. a sinking ship, yeah. you know. So well, the Lord didn't give us a mission that's going to end in failure, yes. You know? And so I think that's that's, that's where we can be encouraged. That's on all eschatological camps. Yes. We always we view a win how it looks differently, but nonetheless we win. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, but yeah. I do think this is this is very encouraging. Like I said, the topic uh, we will be talking about just the state of the Christian Church, not only here in the United States but around the world. And really, we're going to try to be answering the question: Is the church really on a slow um, decline? Sure, mm-hmm. decline. And if it is, how does that actually look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, as I've been uh, as I have been reading this book, there was a uh, one Christian pastor who actually said that the Christian Church in the future, if it keeps up with this trend, that it's going to look like an empty car lot in the early 2000s before the bailout, and yeah. then and then we um, and then we have other um, uh, authorities talking about how yeah this church the Christianity is just on a slow decline. I have some titles here: uh, The Atlantic, America's Empty Church pro- Problem; The New York Times, Big Drop in Share of Americans Calling Themselves Christian; Huffington Post, America is Getting Less Christian and Less Religious Study Show; and the uh, National Public Radio. Uh, reported Christians in U.S. on decline as number of nuns, not nuns, like Roman Catholic nuns, nuns <laughs> as in N-O-N-E-S, grows, survey finds. And we're going to be talking about a lot about, we're going to be talking a lot about that today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to be answering this question. Should we be worried? How should we look at this? And if it is on a slow decline, what do we do? And 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 I hope our, uh, we can touch this uh, with our guests um, who's coming on. Why is why is the United States the 
the the standard of what the church looks like as far as it's a good it question because there's stuff that is going on in the world that is not happening here oh and and, and i think we're being short-sighted just thinking that the united states is like oh this is it, god's kingdom is, is god's the king. benchmark yeah, yeah. The benchmark yeah. i mean you, you look at you look at what's happening in south america mm-hmm. yeah. you know asia china, china yeah. africa parts yeah. of africa yeah we will we will click, uh, yeah. quickly admit on this radio that god has no affiliation with you know like <laughs> yeah. a certain nation like america that's my home this is where i'm going to build yeah. it he's not he's yeah. not he's not going to do that jerusalem he, he, is not in any one of the 50 states yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, it's interesting. He he punishes chosen people. He and, does, and you know we are, you know we are not exempt from that. When no, we are not the things that are happening in this country. Yep. So not but at all. Excited to talk about these. I things. am. Yes. I am. But before we introduce him, uh, please share our podcast with your family and friends, your cats and dogs, as I always say, to all creation. Uh, and if uh, Bridge Radio has blessed you in any way, shape, or form, please consider dropping a positive review. Uh, as this allows us to move up the Christian podcast rankings. We want to get past uh, uh, Joel Olsting. We, we want to surpass that podcast, guys. We're going to do it. Yeah, we are going to do <laughs> to, it. Today, today's program is on that topic. Yes, we, we will. We will I uh, think, usurp I think Mr. Summer, Olsting. I think Summer White might have something to say about that with she the Sheologians. They did. They topped it like for a day. <laughs> yeah, because those girls are up there. So we got to get them on soon. So I would love you. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. And lastly, visit our website to check out more about what we do here at Bridge Ministries, ladies and gentlemen. All right, A.W., Steve, are we ready to kick this interview off? Yeah, let's do this. All right, Glenn is the director for Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family and a research fellow at the Institute of Marriage and Family in Ottawa. He debates and lectures extensively on gender, sexuality, marriage, and parenting at universities and churches around the country. He served the George Bush administration for many years as a consultant on increasing fatherhood involvement in the Head Start program. He and his wife, Jacqueline, have five endlessly growing kids, and they all live relatively happy in the shadow of Pikes Peaks in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He is the author of a recently published book titled The Myth of a Dying Church, How Christianity is Actually Thriving in America and the world. Thank you, Glenn Statton, for joining Bridge Radio. Hey, you betcha. Good to be with you. I, I've been so um, encouraged reading your book. And just to kind of tell our audience a little bit how I found out about you, I love reading The Federalist. I think it's a good source to go to for any sort of political, uh, cultural commentary. And I came across your article uh, about the topic of, of that we're going to talk about today. And I shared it with a couple of pastors, and, and they read it and were very encouraged by it. And as I started digging more into who you were, I was like, this guy has a book. He's writing all about it. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm just really excited to to get into the topic. But, uh, but before we, we dive into your book, I, I want our audience to know a little bit more about you. So first-time guests, we always like for them to share a little bit about themselves uh, quickly and, and how, most importantly, how you were drawn to Saving Faith. Yeah, um, I have worked at Focus on the Family um, since 1993. It was my first job out of college. I'm a humanities major, got my MA in philosophy and history, um, and have been doing research there um, for, gosh, more than 25 years. Um, I first worked for Dr. Dobson doing research for him and now do research for Jim Daly and um, get to write for the Federalist regularly, and I agree mm-hmm. with you. I'm just so impressed with with what they do, mm-hmm. and um, have five kids. They're um, now all out of high school, and some of them are out of college, and mm. 
never imagined I'd be old enough to, to be able to say that, but <laughs> kids leaving the nest and um, I'm reading much, much more with, with the free time that that allows. That's awesome. Uh, you know what? Uh, I've driven up Pike's Peak uh, back in uh, early 90s with family. That's uh, really nice out there. It is nice, and it's interesting. I mean, it's quite a treacherous drive up there. Fourth of July weekend every year, they have the Pikes Peak race where these yep. guys race up the mountain, and it is insane. Yeah, yeah I, I've <laughs> never even seen that, and I was always wondering. I can't believe people are racing up a, what is it, like 4,000 feet? Uh, 14, yeah, 14,000 feet. Wow. And um, it's um there's there's videos of it on youtube if you just do the pikes peak hill climb really and if you've driven up there yourself and then you see how fast these guys are driving it's just nuts yeah it's absolutely nuts yeah and it's pretty scary coming down because there's always signs coming down about your brakes getting too hot yeah and they always oh, yeah. YouTube. <laughs> yeah like it's it, it's crazy so because if they get too hot they'll fail uh, they they recommend you use a lower gear, gear. while you're coming down yeah. so wow yeah but it's wow. really beautiful and it is scary uh, but man, uh, it, but it is fun. We yeah, we love 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 living there. Um, we we just eat it up. So uh, Glenn, when did you when did you become a Christian? When, when were you drawn to saving faith? Um, I became a Christian in about my teen years. Um, I was probably sixteen and started going to a Calvary Chapel kind of church um, and heard the gospel there and just responded to it. I was the type where, um, you know what, I mean, I considered myself a Christian in not a lightheaded way, but like, you know what, I was I was the classic example of walking in the light that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, wanted, wanted to walk with God as closely as I could. Um, and then when I was about 15 again, um, just heard the gospel very clearly and it all made sense to me because I had been studying the scriptures, things like that, but, um, you know, was never in a church that, that really taught the gospel clearly. Hmm. Um, so, Glenn, can you talk a little bit, like, give us a little 30,000-foot view on the overall just thesis of the book, and then we'll start nailing down on, you know, a little bit more specifics. Yeah, good. The energy that drives the book is this assumption that's basically taken for absolute fact that um, Christianity is declining, that young people are leaving the faith in droves, that the nuns, those who identify with no institutional faith, whatever, are growing, the, you know, a new expanding group of unbelievers, and that people are essentially losing interest in Christianity at all. And when we hear Christian leaders, you know, talk about those facts, they usually preface it with, well, as we all know, But I had known from my research at Focus and reading deeply into the really, really good research on this topic that really none of those things are true. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that not only are none of them true, in many ways the exact opposite is true. So it concerns me, and I mean you guys are interested in bringing truth to the church and letting Mm -hmm. helping the church be truth-tellers— um, and especially we speak of the truth with a capital T, but we need to yeah. make sure that we're communicating the truth with a small T. And it's interesting, for some reason, 
we as evangelicals like and latch on to bad news, yeah. <laughs> and we will spread that bad news far and wide. I mean, that's the other ironic thing. The, the people of good news right. are the ones that, that connect on to bad news. And another thing that I say in the book is, we are the people to known to be born again. We don't have to be known for being born yesterday. And so <laughs> the book was the book was about let's really dig into the research and tell the story, the larger story, about why these things that we take as absolute fact are not true. Um, and I knew it would be kind of a difficult task because everybody says, well, my goodness, how in the world can so many people get it wrong? And I have a chapter in the book on how that has taken place. And it really doesn't, you know, it's not because people are not smart or not diligent. It's just, it's a complex issue. And when you look at the larger topic, when you look at the larger body of research, it tells a much different story than going off of a Barna report here, or a Pew Research report there, or an article in USA Today over here. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a very important thing for the church today, for church leaders to understand just what the truth is on this topic. Yeah, and can you talk a little bit about what um, what exactly are people saying, most most specifically? Maybe you could give us a couple of, of examples of that to, to, for our audience to get a better picture and, and kind of feel of what what this um, slow decline what is looking like. What the bad news is. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because at the beginning of the book, I highlight um, and and you know identify just a number of radical things that have been said. Um, you know, the Atlantic had an article recently, or you know, a year or so ago, entitled "America's Emptying Church Problem." Hmm. Um, National Public Radio has reported this is a headline. Christians in the U.S. on decline as number of nuns grow. Um, New York Times, big drop in share of Americans calling themselves Christians. Um, Huffington Post had another headline, America is getting less Christian and less religious studies show. And then we have Christian leaders um, saying, you know, and I don't want to be over the top, but saying some ridiculous things just you know, there was an ad in a leading Christian magazine, um, and it says, this generation of teens is the largest in history, and if and current trends show that only 4% will be evangelical believers by the time they become adults. We are on the verge of a catastrophe. And it's just simply not true. We have other people saying, in 10 years, the church may not even exist. Wow. You know when they were saying that? About 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's been, right? pre- been predicted throughout history. You know, how many times has that been predicted, that Christianity is going to die out, that it's going to fail? Well, I tell you what, exactly. There was a number of years ago I was, was doing some research on one angle on the Puritans, and I was reading a lot of the very original Puritan writers, a lot of their books are online and they've, you know, got the funny S's and the F's, you know, and and things like that. But you heard those people saying, and you heard those great Puritan divines demoning or bemoaning the young people coming up then and Mm. how secular they were Mm. and how wayward they were. And, and, and they say, if you look at this generation, this may be the last generation of Christians Mm, that we know. 
And so I always sum that up to it's every generation has had the those kids, those kids today, um, you know, kind of idea. And so but if you look at real data and we'll talk about this in just a little bit, that adults from 18 to 29 years of age, we have some of the highest church attendance today in evangelical churches than we've had um, than we did in 1972 Mm. and earlier. Um, So in many ways, even attendance of of young adults in evangelical churches has been growing. Wow. Uh, Yeah. That's interesting. Hey, Glenn, can you give us a little bit of of what the practical and theological implications are uh, for the church as they buy into, if they buy into this this pessimistic uh, bad news outlook with regards to the uh, you know the future of the church, the decline. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's a good question. I usually end with this topic, so I'm glad you brought it up from the very beginning. The theological implications in the last chapter of my book, um, the myth of the dying church, I talk about how this idea that the church is shrinking, that it's declining, that it's dying, that, you know, we may not have a church in 15 to 20 years, that's not only bad sociology, it's bad theology, Mm -hmm. because it's bad pneumatology, um, Mm -hmm. because the Holy Spirit is the engine that drives the church at Pentecost. And I, I go into this in great detail in the last chapter. At Pentecost, this wind blows into this building where the dejected apostles and disciples are hanging out. And it is with that wind coming in that the church starts. That is the animating um, power and wind of the Holy Spirit. And it says later on there, it says, and the Lord was adding to their numbers daily those that were being saved. Mm -hmm. Now, that is not just an issue that happened in history. That is the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot help but be life-giving. Right. Christ Church cannot help but grow because of the dynamic driver that is behind that. It's God's passion for his bride. Um, it's Jesus' redeeming work. And it's the Holy Spirit's animating work. Hmm. So for us to say that, oh, my gosh, pull our hair out, you know, the church is declining. It's basically saying the Holy Spirit is not showing up. Um, The Holy Spirit's irresistible pull on generations is somehow stuck in the mud. Um, Again, to understand God's very nature, he's life-giving. Um, and he's always working. He's he's always doing something. It's so funny. You guys have, have been in this situation where you'll be in a church service and, you know, the leader will say, I feel like God's really doing something. Mm-hmm. And I always think, well, opposed to the other times when he's just sitting there yeah. doing nothing. <laughs> no, God, God is always doing yeah. something. Amen. That's what he's up to. So, again, this idea that, you know, let's wring our hands. We could be the last generation of yeah. Christians. What that comes down to, again, is a faulty theology. And it puts us in the driver's seat to mm-hmm. say, we need better apologetics. Mm-hmm. We need better worship services. We need better marketing. You know what? God doesn't need any of that. Yeah. Um, and he is continuing to work, and he will continue to work. 
and his kingdom just keeps pressing on. He tells Peter, Peter, mm. I'm going to build my church upon your declaration of me as Christ, and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. Yeah. Now, what Jesus is really saying is not just the gates of hell will not prevail. He's saying nothing will prevail against the march of my church through history, not even the gates of hell itself. And so, again, we need to understand that the church is in very good hands because those hands are the Father's hands. Amen. And we forget, I was going to bring up that verse, uh, Glenn, and why do we forget Jesus' words in that aspect of what yeah. he's telling Peter? The, the, the gates. Well, and yeah, and in the New Testament, um, you know, God says, my word will not return void. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know what? When we're preaching the word, um, it has power in it. Yeah. And this is what we're going to discover in our time here together, that yes, God is doing amazing things. And in fact, you know, we could say that today is one of the brightest times um, in the history of the church. Mm. And that's quite a profound statement. Right. Um, but when you look at um, data in interesting ways, um, it, it, you know, it, it is arguably, but, you know, it very could well be true. Right. I yeah. mean, I think the really interesting thing here, Glenn, at Bridge Ministries, we coffee shop and, uh, and, and bookstore, Christian bookstore, Reformed Christian bookstore, um, is that I don't know, uh, I think Stephen Julio can uh, uh, attest to this, is that we just see a lot of young people just hungry yes. for truth. And Glenn, I don't know what what you have to say about that as you have done research and, and statistics. of We've just been, and, and this is just here, but um, I just feel like there's just been a lot of young people who have questions that are hungry, that are not being answered out there. And... They want something deeper. Deep, yeah. You know? we, we, we've, we've had, I, I remember one girl coming in, walking in the door, and she said, do you guys have a Bible study going on? I want to learn. I want to grow. Wow. You know, she, wants, <laughs> she wants food. And so, you know, we're all about that. But uh, it's exciting to see that in, in, in the young people, in the younger generation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you guys are exactly right. And, and you know, in one place in the book, um, apart from the research and stuff, I just asked the reader, look around and see what you see. Mm -hmm. You know, are your churches declining? Um, are your youth groups, you know what, we used to have a youth group, you know, 10 years ago. Now it's just a storage room. No, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. as I look around, um, you know, those things are happening very vibrantly. I was in Washington, D.C. yesterday. I was presenting to um, a group of congressmen and women, and oh. one of the congressmen came up afterwards. He said, in my district, I teach a Sunday school class at home. Wow. And he says, you know, these are high school students. He said, we're going through the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, like, oh, yay, wow. book of Deuteronomy, <laughs> can't wait. Yeah. He said, if you teach it like it is, and yeah. you get into the history, yes. and you mm. get into the depth of things, and he said, I'm not even trying to make it quote-unquote entertaining yeah. i'm yeah. trying to make it real yeah. and he says those kids surprisingly are eating it up they do not want to be entertained mm -hmm. they do not want um you know cotton candy bible teaching they want meat they right. want yeah. you know uh, steak they you know and so we need to understand that and that's not just about this generation 
It's about the nature of being young. Yeah. They mm. want to know what truth is. And so we as the church, um, we need to be committed to that, and we need to unapologetically teach the scriptures, because that's the thing. If you ask the question, is Christianity dying, is it not? Um, the answer is yes to both of those things. Now, how can it be yes to both of those? Well, there's one part of the church that is dying a, a fast death and, and sustained death. There's one part of the church that's doing wonderfully. And the division there has to do with theology and practice. The mainline churches, the churches that have compromised on the deity of Christ, the historicity of the resurrection, um, nature of sexual politics and abortion and things, those churches are tanking like crazy. Hmm. Pew says that in the last 10 years, they have lost anywhere from 5 million to 7.5 million members over this time. Now, on the other side, evangelical churches, churches that teach the Bible, even mainline churches, quote-unquote, you know, a United Methodist Church, if they are faithful to preaching the scriptures, calling people to discipleship, having vibrant worship, all those churches are doing well. Mm -hmm. they're, they're holding their own and um, many times even growing a bit as a percentage of the population and things like that. So mm -hmm. when we see the church is shrinking, when you hear people say, oh, the church is shrinking, you have to ask them, are you talking about the liberal mainline churches? or the conservative evangelical churches. And typically they'll look at you like, uh, I didn't know there was a difference. Right. <laughs> There's a world of difference there. I mean, that's really where the story is found. Yeah. Yeah. And in the beginning of the, uh, and Glenn, in the beginning of your book, you identify those in bullet points like I see here. Liberal churches are hemorrhaging members. Biblical churches are holding strong. Church attendance is at all-time high. More young adults are attending biblically faith in church. Atheism and it agnosticism are not growing as widely. I really appreciate that you were um, placed those things in those bullet points. And for our listeners, uh, go out and get the book that you can read these these bullet yeah. points and amongst the other things that we're talking about. Yeah, and, and it almost seems just from what you were saying that liberal theology, or, or I would say incorrect theology, its result uh, inevitably is that it's just going to fall flat on its face mm. and actually true biblical teaching is going to push forward the kingdom of God. Because it will come back void if it's incorrect theology. Yes. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And again, I mean, with every compromise that those churches make, people are leaving those churches as if the buildings were on fire. I mean, they are leaving in droves. It's, it's really significant. But I think that is a big thing coming out of the book is it is time to declare and sign the death certificate on the liberalizing movement within the Christian church. I mean, of course, it started, um, you know, early or late in the 1800s into the 1900s and has really continued. And um, it never really has drawn people to itself. Yeah. Um, th there's a guy, you know, major book in sociology of religion, um, written in the early 70s, a guy from the um, National Council of Churches, and it's called Why Are Conservative Churches Growing? Hmm. And Why Aren't the Liberal Churches Growing? I mean, this has been a problem all along for the liberal churches. Hmm. And here's the deal. When, 
you are no longer holding up the basics of Christianity and call yourself a Christian church, mm-hmm. um, you know, no, no doubt people are not going to come to your church because when they go to church, if they're going to get up, wash their faces and mm-hmm. get in the car and look all nice, um, they want to go to a place that teaches whole milk Christianity mm-hmm. rather than yeah. just skin. Skin milk. <laughs> yeah, that's so true, and and we can really resonate with that because as as a ministry, I've noticed that when we do Bible studies on specific books of the Bible, like yeah. we've done Genesis, uh, Romans, uh, Romans, we're, we're doing Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes right now, it uh, is packed yeah. <laughs> compared to when we do a more topical Bible study. We still have you know a a, a decent turnout, but when we just focus on a specific book of the Bible yeah. and really dig into yeah. it, there is so much enthusiasm yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I found that pretty amazing that you just mentioned that. And so it's so true yeah. when you're focusing on specific books by the Bible itself and are just getting into the deep things about the word. People just want the word. They just want the word. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. like for the liberal churches, it's like feeding their congregation cotton candy over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Will it fill you up? Yeah, to a certain extent. It won't last that long. Tastes good, but it isn't nutrition nutritious at all. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're going to be mal- malnutritious and then leave. Right. You know, that's exactly what... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, here's here's something from some research that was done in Canada by two sociologists. They wanted to find out of the mainline churches, were any of them growing, and if so, why? So what they did was they looked at churches across Canada, and they found a few mainline churches that were growing. And when they sat down to write the journal article, they titled it Theology Matters, mm-hmm. just two words. And the reason they picked that title was because their thesis, I mean, they didn't really have a thesis. They just wanted to know what was making the mainline churches that were growing grow. And they said, it's theology. When the pastor has conservative theology, biblical theology, those churches grow. Now, this point goes to what you guys were saying. They were asking various pastors certain things about the faith and and what they believed. And one of the questions was a statement. Christians have access to a power and a source um, and an internal drive that is unique and distinct and um, preferable to other faith religions. Okay, you know, in a sense... Anybody from any faith should be able to say, yeah, I'm a Buddhist, and I think my program is the best. That's why I'm that way. Mm -hmm. Well, among the liberal uh, pastors, not one of them agreed with that statement. About 90-95% of the conservative pastors agreed with that. Mm -hmm. Now, get this, that if none of the liberal pastors believed there was anything special about Christianity, that's like, you know, going on TV and, and selling sink cleaner. And yeah. somebody asks, well, is your sink cleaner any better than any other? Uh, <laughs> you know what? Not really. Uh, yeah. Guess what? People don't tend to buy what you're selling. And, yeah. and that, it's insane. And it's, you know, it's what you guys were saying is when you just take a lukewarm position on Christianity, um, nobody, nobody wants to eat at your kitchen. Yeah. Very true. Mm, wow. Yeah. That is good. Yeah, I like I like coming over to people's house when they're serving USDA prime <laughs> beef. So 
<laughs> stake. So, um, you know, uh, Glenn, as we were talking about research here, uh, what kind of sources do you use for your research? And why do you think this plays an important role in your book? That's a very, very good question. Now, the, the issue here and the problem here has been these conclusions that we've adopted in the church usually base themselves off of a report that, you know, an organization like Barna has done or some other organization over here. And typically those, those investigations, they're okay, but they're not really what they ought to be. They're not as rigorous and vigorous as they ought to be. What I have done was gone to the professional scientific journals and looked at what real sociologists are, of religion are doing. Some of these people are personally Christians. I mean, they're you know within our community, but they are respected in their world of sociology, and they're working from academic institutions. Um, I mean, they are scholars in their own right. And so what I did was I went and looked at that research. I went and looked at Pew research. And what's interesting, and I demonstrate this in the book, is Pew, they put out their press releases and things, and they want to be provocative because they want to get press. But they'll make a statement like um, America growing less religious in last 10 years. And that's the headline. And so the Washington Times, Washington Post will publish that headline. But you go get the study. It's easy to look up. It's online. But, um, I mean, there was one instance where negative headline, but the subtitle on Pew's own report said, but, um, but serious religion holding strong. Hmm. So basically what they were saying was, yes, religion is declining overall, but it's the lukewarm religion that's declining. It's the mainline churches that are declining. But that subtitle says, but those who really take their faith seriously, attend church every week or more often, believe the Bible is really the Word of God, really do pray, um, not just when they're in trouble, but you know, every day they read their scriptures, things like that. They say that those people, those churches are holding strong but you will never read that kind of stuff in the mainstream press. And so Christians, I mean, we need to be like the Bereans. The Bereans, you know, heard what Paul said, and then they went and checked it out for themselves. Yeah. And the bad thing about it is we have the Internet today. You know what? You read a story, go type it into your search browser, find the report, and just even read the executive summary, and you will usually find that – the report itself does not say what the news says that it says. And so that's simply what I have done um, in this research. And I've gone and looked at this research over the past 20 years. And so looking at the bright lights, the real scholars that work in the area of sociology of religion, rather than just a report here or a report there. It's interesting. One of the studies that um, – I came across when I was doing the research, it's in the, um, oh, let me see, I've got the name of it right here. It's the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion. I mean, that's, you know, a journal title. There's people who write about this stuff. They said that they wanted to look at the annual death rates of churches. There's a whole system for understanding sociologically the death rates for community institutions. And these people put their focus on churches. 
Here's what they found. They found that the death rate for churches in the United States is about 1%. Okay, 1% of churches today are dying, boarding themselves up. Now, what we have to understand is the explanation that they went into. They said the general death rate for most community, the average for most community organizations is about 5%. They said this 1% of churches is absolutely unprecedented. They do not know of any other community, you know, like YMCA or community health clinics or things like that, that has the longevity um, and the staying power that churches do. And they were very clear about that. So again, you find this really great and interesting research done by real scholars, and again, not necessarily conservative, um, but they're not necessarily against religion either. These are the roll-up-your-sleeve guys mm. who just and women who just do good research. They're just academics. They just want to see the data for what it is. And as we dig into this, and I present it here and there throughout the book, um, you get a very, very different picture. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I, Interesting. I do like that you say, you, you quote and says, however, few people take the time to, to dig further into a story and consult multiple sources in order to examine their side of the story before determining whether such a belief holds up. This is what detectives do. This is what good reporting once did. But most people today don't have the time or the resources yeah. or care to, to go in deeper. And that's with everything nowadays. Yeah, though. it's like, <laughs> yeah, right. And, and then Oh, we, yeah, it is. It's It's like, you know wonderful quote from Abraham Lincoln just because you saw it on the internet doesn't make it true <laughs> doesn't mean it's true that's right good. yeah um, I mean we we tend to think that or I mean here was an example of there was a quote in USA Today and it said that like 90% of kids by the time they reach adulthood will no longer hang on to their faith well I wanted to to track that down and because, gosh, if it's in USA Today, it must be right. And then pastors will, turn around, pastors will turn around and say, you know, I read this in USA Today. So I wanted to track it down. And it turned out to kind of be like the telephone game. USA Today heard it from this source, then this source, then this source. And what it came down to was this complete misunderstanding of some original research. And what it kind of had to do with was asking a group of ministers what they thought the future looked like, Mm. you know? And so it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you see that just time and time again. And so again, it's, um, you know what? We're born again, but we don't have to act like we were born yesterday. We need to be diligent about our research mm-hmm. and make sure that we have a number of good sources to cite um, before we just step out and, and start saying things like this. And this yeah. is really the hope for this book is that people will check out the sources, that yeah. people will learn about new sources and say, okay, we don't have to just depend on this ministry statement or that ministry statement. There's really great research and deep research um, making quite a case for these points. Yeah. To all the lazy pastors out there, make sure you're doing your research correctly. <laughs> well, no, here's the thing is I'm the kidding. lazy pastors can continue to be lazy pastors because yeah. I've done the work for them. I should there put that on the front of them. 
But no, I mean, the <laughs> passers are busy, and yeah. I, you know, this is my job every day to do this kind of stuff. And most people don't have the time to dig into this kind of thing. And yeah, even, true. I mean, I'll tell you, even some of the very good and dear friends in the work of apologetics, um, they will cite poor sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, many should know better, but they, you know, see another source. OK, this author said that, and I certainly trust that author. Um, and, you know what, no reason to not trust them. But again, knowing the larger body of data, you can see I can tell you why that point is wrong for, you know, these three reasons. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and thank you so much, uh, Glenn, for doing this research. I want to let all of our listeners know, um, please go share this podcast with your pastors, any people who run a ministry, because this information needs to get out. It does. It really does. So please share it. Just don't subscribe to us, but share it with your pastors and and anybody else who's who's in full-time ministry and ministry in general. And get the book. Yes, get the book, get the book. Um, so, Glenn, um, can we talk about uh, at least two of your key findings of the book? You don't have to go in, you know, unless you want to, just kind of deep into this. But you, you talk about what's called uh, or two categories of people uh, in the research, the dabblers and the diligent disciples. Um, can yeah. you talk about those two for a sec? The dabbler Christians are what I call CEO Christians. That is Christmas <laughs> and Easter only Christians. I mean, you know, they... <laughs> They are not the people that are showing up regularly to church, taking their faith seriously. Then you have the diligent disciples. Those are the people that are really digging in there. They're attending church regularly every week. They're reading, studying their scriptures. They're not, you know, supermen or superwomen, but you know what? They're, they're, they're in there taking the swings. They're, yeah. you know, they're working at it. They're committed to what they're doing. Hmm. And so when you look at just the dabblers— the dabblers are falling away from the faith. And we think, oh my goodness, falling away from the faith. Well, the issue is they're falling away from something that they never really had in the first place. Mm -hmm. They're just giving up the pretense that, well, I'm Methodist. This is a church that we go to. Well, you know what? Your pastor doesn't even know who you are. No, you only go at Christmas, Easter, or, you know, Aunt June's wedding or Aunt June's funeral. Mm. Um, But that's who the nuns are. For this growing population that have been generally understood or preached as, well, these are the new unbelievers, those that are turning their backs on their faith and identifying with no faith whatsoever. Nearly all of the nuns that that group includes are these people that have not given up on their faith. They're simply admitting and being truth to the idea of, well, we never really had a faith to begin with. Mm. Pew found out that of those people that said, I no longer hold the faith that I did when I was small, ergo, you know, quote unquote, walked away from their faith, only 82% of those said, I had any kind of vibrant faith when I was growing up. Mm. 9% of those said, yes, I came from a very strong Christian family. Um, So that means that for those who are, quote-unquote, walking away from their faith, the overwhelming majority of them, nearly all of them, are walking away from a faith that they technically never really had in the first place. Mm. So the nuns are not a new group of unbelievers. They're simply a new group who's who's being honest that, nope, I'm not a Christian, and I really never was a Christian. I just had my church, my name on some role at some church. And— 
actually them coming to terms with that and being honest about that is actually a good move mm-hmm. um, and, and yeah. a good development in our nation. It's di- it's dividing the wheat from the tares, which yeah. Christ said would happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about atheism? Is that on the rise? Well, it's interesting. There was a, a commentary piece on foxnews.com a couple of weeks ago, and the headline said, Atheism is now the largest religious group in America. Okay. A headline at Fox News, okay? And, you know, I take that into my friends at work and just shake my head. Pew tells us that over the last 10 years, atheism has grown from 2% of the population to 3% of the population. (laughs) Now, if that's the largest religious group in America, um, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And so, yes— it grew 1% over 10 years. I mean, in some sense, you know, you could be generous and say it nearly doubled in 10 years. Well, the story is it moved from 1% to 3%, um, hardly a revival. And we need to understand as well <laughs> that this was during the days of, you know, the new atheists yeah. and, and mm-hmm. you know, the forum that they had yeah. and their books being so popular. So this was, you know, during the time, if you will, of the great unawakening of the atheists. And they yeah. just had this small little um, improvement. But no, it's only 3% today. No, mm-hmm. we are not moving into a more secular, unbelieving society. Most Americans who have a serious faith in God, most Christians who have a serious faith in Jesus and Scripture and discipleship, they are hanging on to their faith quite nicely. Mm. Amen. And going back to what you were talking about a little bit uh, ago with regards to instilling a vibrant faith in our kids, you say in your book in the last chapter that not only are kids not leaving the faith in droves, but the best, most robust and reliable research from the leading scholars in the field show that parents, ex- extended family, etc., can do a number of relatively simple things to nearly ensure that our young people will develop a living and lasting faith in their youth and into adulthood. Can you talk a little bit about that, Glenn, and what kind of things parents can do? Because I really want to encourage parents and yeah. aunts and uncles, etc., in those lines. Yeah, and that's a very, very good point. And this research is very interesting. There was a guy at um, University of Southern California. He did like a 30, 40-year study on faith transmission within families and how that takes place. Does it take place, and what are the factors of that? Christian Smith, who started out at University of North Carolina, is now at Notre Dame. He did some wonderful research on that very topic. And both of these men and their research teams explain that if parents do a couple of basic things and don't even do them perfectly, but do them seriously, Mm -hmm. that their kids are highly likely, and Christian Smith says in one place, nearly guaranteed to carry on their faith into adulthood. Mm. Now, what are these, you know, super things that parents need to be doing with their kids to nearly guarantee that they carry on their faith? Well, they're really quite easy. The first thing they say is the family should attend church regularly. Mm, you know what? When kids grow up, this is my youth group. This is where we end up every Sunday. 
I go to, you know, small group study during the week. Um, and, and even when you're missing church a little bit here and there, if it's a consistent thing that the Franklin family does or the Miller family does, you know, that's having a big impact on the kids. The next thing is teaching and practicing for the kids regular Bible study. And now I don't mean every day at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, but you know what? We read our scriptures quite a few times a week. It's talked about at dinner. Um, we talk about it in the car. Um, and not that, you know, you're heavy Bible students, but the scriptures illuminate your life in particular ways. Yeah. The other is praying together. Mm. And again, not just praying over meals, although that's important, and not just having, you know, a set time of prayer necessarily every day. But as I say in the book, you know, living and growing up in a family of, you know what, Uncle John and Aunt Tina are having a difficult time, let's pray for them. Mm. Um, when you're driving down the road and you see an accident mm. and mom says, you know what, let's pray for those people right now. Yeah. Not doing it a lot, but the kids are seeing, you know what? My parents take their faith very seriously. Mm. And they say that parents are absolutely the most influential, impactful people in transferring faith to their children. Mm. Now, there's another group of people, and they're what we call in sociology of religion scaffolding or satellite adults. And I saw this very, very much with my kids. These are youth group leaders. Um, these are siblings. These are aunts and uncles. Um, these are church staff. And what this, what these people are, the satellite people, the scaffolding people is, okay, you know what? Mom and dad are serious about their faith. They're always reading us from the Bible. They're always talking about these things. But you know what? Mom and dad are pretty nerdy. Mm -hmm. But when they see the youth pastor and he you know, mountain bikes, and he skateboards, and listens to cool music, and not just because he's cool and groovy, but, you know, they trust him, and they're like, he believes the same things that mom and dad believe. Maybe mom and dad aren't so crazy. So it's those satellite adults that come around the parents to really kind of enforce what they do um, has a big, big impact. So our children being involved in the life of the church that way. And then lastly is, kids struggling with their faith, kids struggling with their faith, and the parents helping them come to terms with those struggles, those kids are more likely to hang on to their faith because the parents have not just said, well, you know, hell just exists and you need to accept it. Hmm. No, help your child dig into that, look into the scriptures, wrestle with the good questions, yeah. and you have given your child the tools in how to, you know, answer those questions for themselves yeah, in, you know, strengthening their faith. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's so good. Wow. That was really good. I just, one, just one quick question before we land the plane here. Um, at the opening statement, we were discussing why is the United States of America the benchmark of these statistics on, uh, on how Christianity is growing globally? Um, I feel like, oh, Christianity is dying here, and then it seems like all the bad news that is happening in Christianity here in the United States is uh, happening going everywhere else, else in, yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, first of all, uh, Philip Jenkins, he's a scholar at University of Pennsylvania and has a, a, a dual um, seat at Baylor University. He is the one that has studied Christianity throughout the world globally. 
And he says Christianity is just exploding throughout the world in remarkable ways. And we think about, well, Europe, gosh, isn't that growing more secular? There are two scholars who published really recently, um, one from Harvard, one from Indiana University, and they wanted to test what they called the secularization thesis. Is our society growing more secular like Europe is? And what they found out, to their deep surprise, was absolutely not. People are not growing more secular in the United States. What they found out is what they call vibrant religion, speaking of you know committed biblical Christianity, that that is actually thriving and doing well. And they conclude that maybe Europe is the outlier mm. in secularization. Maybe, you know, Christianity itself is spreading throughout the world, and maybe secularization itself is not spreading from Europe and into this country and beyond. And I think from the data that I've seen, they're absolutely right that Europe is the outlier Hmm. and that the United States is indicative of what's happening in most of the rest of the world. Interesting. That is interesting. Well, Glenn Statton, it was a pleasure to have you on the program. And as always, before we land the plane, we always allow our guests to share the gospel. We know talking statistics and all this good news isn't going to bring people to saving faith, but it's the proclamation of the gospel. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor to share the gospel uh, with our audience. All righty. Real quick is every one of us is loved limitlessly and passionately by God. But each one of us has a terminal illness that we got from our original parents, Adam and Eve. And that is our biggest problem. We do what is not right, and we want to do what is right, but we can't. Paul said that. But Jesus came, and the name of of this radio, this ministry, Bridge Ministries, he built a bridge from the position of sinners on one side of the chasm over to God on the other. Mm. And Jesus is that bridge. He's the dependable bridge. He's the reliable bridge. And he will always be there. And we can walk from him out of the life of sin into a life of righteousness Mm. and the love of the Father. And it is simply up to us to choose whether we will or will not do that. God gives us that offer every day and it's our decision to decide to walk on that bridge to trust christ's forgiveness um, and his um, direction to the father or say nope i'm going to do it myself Hmm. one way is a sure bet the other one is utter failure It is good news. That is is good good news. news. That is good news. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please go buy the book for yourself, for your pastor. Give it as a gift. If it's his birthday, go buy it. Go give it to him. Uh, Christmas is just around the corner. I'm just kidding. But you can get it for your pastor or anybody else. This this book is just—it's really exciting. I can't wait to finish it up. And can we name the book? Yes, Myth of a Dying Church. You can find it on Amazon. I'm pretty sure we're going to be carrying it here. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, Glenn, where else can our listeners find you if they want to uh, contact you personally? Um, I um, write through my um, blog, which is Glenn, two ends, glenntstanton.com, or they can go to focusonthefamily.org and just type in my name there and, and find my writings there. 
All righty. All right. Well, we'll catch you on uh, more more of uh, the Federalist the Federalist articles. So good stuff. There you go. Stuff. That's well, as well. Thank you so much, Glenn, for uh, joining us. Yes. Yeah. Thank All you, righty. Glenn. Thanks for having me, guys. Very encouraging. Thank yes. you. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up the program for today. Uh, AW, the boss, what did y'all think about it? That was good news. That was great information, and I really hope our listeners go out and get this book and um, and read it, um, share it at church. Yes. Um, I, I was absolutely just blown away just from the, the statistical yeah. facts and research that he was just giving yeah. us and, um, and there's a lot more in the book yeah yeah there's a lot more um, I'm still working my way through it but I, I just appreciate people who dig a little deeper mm. and find out that hey what is portrayed as reality and truth, truth. doesn't actually mean that it is so yeah. because of this well yeah. I think it just goes to show that it's a uh, spiritual it is. battle, yeah. you know, it is. and it's 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 the Holy Spirit that uh, brings the increase, you know. Um, we have to be faithful to proclaim the good news, but we're not in a losing fight. We're not. You know? When Jesus gave us that mandate to go out and share the gospel, it was a it was a uh, it was a command that's going to end in victory, and Amen. so we have yeah. that to look forward to. And I think just you know what we talked about today goes to prove that. Yeah, it making, does. Making his name famous among all people. Amen. Amen. Every knee shall bow. Yeah, for his glory through Christ. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, if you want to know more about Bridge Ministries, we are a parachurch ministry. We are a Reformed Christian bookstore. And uh, we're here to provide and equip and disciple Christians through biblical Orthodox resources. Uh, we also have Bible studies here, so we consider ourselves uh, secondary, a teaching ministry. And we also have coffee here. So if you're in Laredo, Texas, please stop by, hang out with us. We're always here. Um, mm-hmm. Please share the podcast. Uh, and uh, yeah. Um, visit our, our website, www.bridgemanlaredo.org. You could uh, so, uh, check us out there. Uh, and please prayerfully consider supporting us, either it be a uh, monthly gift or a one-time gift, because this really just helps continue Bridge Radio, the ministry that, we, uh, that we're doing here, uh, and just providing uh, in English and Spanish good, solid uh, reformed Christian resources. And yeah. so this is why we're here. And we also, um, w- one of our big missions, especially out in the future, is to really impact South America with uh, with biblical Mexico teaching. And, 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 yeah. Yeah. Central, 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 Central America. America, yeah. Spanish, Spanish speaking. Spanish yeah. speaking, yes. And we're working on that. We yes. are. We are. New building. New, new information and videos coming soon. So Yes. Thank you. Every little single penny does count. Yes. And again, I'm going to hit it again. Share, share this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, make, make it great. Make it great. So anyway, our last question is always this. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? And we'll see you on the next one. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.